let's get right into it. Ephesians, we have been in the book of Ephesians. I was uh, watching the past couple of weeks, Pastor Sandy and Pastor Chris did an incredible job bringing the word. Amen. We are blessed with some great, some great preachers. And so today we're picking up in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And um, we're going to be reading there in just a moment. First, I want to go back into chapter 4, and I want to look at two, two or three verses, uh, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, that gives us a context. It's kind of a, kind of a setup for chapter 5. So it's always important when we're studying the Word of God to consider context, right? We want to look at the verses before, the verses after, and really understand um, just kind of the full theme of what is in the Word of God. So Ephesians 4, let's look at 22, and 22, 22 through 24, where Paul writes, and he says, that you would put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So put off the old man. Amen? Now, ladies, that's not talking about your husband, all right? Put off that old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, talking about our old life, who we were before Christ, right? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So now we're going to go into chapter 5. That's kind of a setup for chapter 5. And I want to talk today about walking in holiness. So in chapter 4, he says, put on the new man created in God in righteousness and true holiness. Chapter 5 is about walking in holiness. Holy, everybody say holiness. 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 So when I think of this concept of holiness, a scripture from Hebrews comes to mind. Hebrews 12, 14, if you know your Bibles, you remember this scripture, where it says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, holiness is not necessarily a popular topic today because of the, the connotations that it, that it invokes. Holiness. A lot of times when we think of holiness, we think of fire and brimstone preaching uh, that condemns anything that is secular, secular music, you know, secular movies, judgmental old people with rules and regulations about how you should dress and places you should abstain from and people that you should avoid, you know, all the do nots, right, about walking with the Lord. But let me give you a definition of holiness. Holiness is conforming our lives to the person and nature of God revealed in the person Jesus Christ, right? Conforming our lives to the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what holiness means for us. Now, holiness may not be a favorite topic, but let's be reminded of what we just read in Hebrews 12. It says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it is important for us to understand what Ephesians 4 says, that we should walk in that new man created in God after righteousness and true holiness. And we need to walk in holiness because without holiness, none of us will see the Lord. Amen? So there are two aspects of holiness in the life of the believer. So we're going to go a little deep 
this morning, and we're going to learn a little theology. This might be kind of some new concepts for some of us, but there are two aspects of holiness that are demonstrated in the life of the believer that we see in the Scripture. In one aspect, we are made holy by Jesus Christ. We are, we are positioned before God as holy. It's called positional holiness. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are declared holy. We are positioned before God. He sees us as being holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for, for he made him, God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross, our sin was removed from us. It was appropriated from us and placed upon Jesus, right? And he took our punishment for our sin for us. As his blood was then applied to us, the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the life of Christ is perfect and holy and righteous, his life was applied to us, and we, we took upon ourselves his righteousness, the righteousness of his life. How many are, are getting that, right? Our sin was appropriated to him. His righteousness was appropriated to us. And now Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 says that we are found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith. Hallelujah. That's good news. Amen? It's what the book of Galatians refers to as being justified by faith. Everybody say justified, right? Galatians 2.16 says that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, because we have believed in Jesus Christ. So the term justified is actually a legal term and it means that we are declared not guilty. Hallelujah is right, okay? So you sitting here right now because of Jesus and your faith in Jesus, you are declared not guilty. Everybody say not guilty. That is good news, right? Think of it like this, justified. Think of it like this, just as if. Justified, just as if I never sinned. That's how God looks at us because of Jesus. Just as if I never sinned. Hallelujah. And if we do fall, if we do make the mistake of, of sin in our life, the blood of Jesus keeps us secure. Amen? We do not slip in and out of heaven like we're going through a revolving door. All right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay? So he doesn't want, it's not God's will for us to sin. Amen? And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, which is like a, a lawyer, okay? We have an advocate. We have a lawyer, okay? With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. So it's almost like we're before the courtroom of God. We fall, we sin. The devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, who accuses us before God night and day, says, see that? He's guilty. But then Jesus, our lawyer, our advocate, steps up, the righteous one, and says, no, no, not guilty. Hallelujah. 
right? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin, right? That's what we mean when we say we plead the blood. It's a legal term. We plead. How do you plead? I'll tell you how I plead. Not guilty. Justified. Just as if I never sinned. Hallelujah. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. My salvation is secure, not because I hold firmly to him, but because he holds firmly to me. Amen? Right? So in one sense, we are declared to be holy. That's our positional standing. But in the second sense... We are to be made holy, that we are to become holy in our actual conduct and our behavior. This is called actual holiness. So we have positional holiness that is established through Christ on the cross, and then we have actual holiness, okay? In theology, this is what we call the doctrine of sanctification. Can you say sanctification, right? theological term, sanctification. To sanctify means to set apart. It means to be consecrated for a purpose, okay? So, in that one sense, we are sanctified. We are set apart. We are declared holy. We are justified by faith, okay? All right? Immediate. It's called immediate sanctification. But in another sense, we are being sanctified on a regular basis, on a daily basis, through the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We have been declared righteous. We have been sanctified positionally, but now we are in the process of conforming to the image of Christ. How many are following with me, okay? We've been declared holy, but we are being made holy in our practical, everyday, daily living conduct and behavior. All right, so sanctification is twofold. It's both instantaneous and it's progressive. Okay, how many feel themselves becoming theologians? You're evolving into theologians right now, okay? So sanctification is positional, it's instantaneous, and it's progressive, it's actual, it's being borne out in our behavior every day. Let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 2, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That's, that's what he says to these people in Corinth. He says, you are sanctified, called to be saints. Okay? The word saint simply means one who is set apart, one who is sanctified. What's interesting that here we have these believers, he calls them saints, he calls them sanctified. He says that you are positioned as holy before God, right? But then in verse 10, and really through the whole book of Corinthians, he goes on to rebuke them for their conduct, for being divided, for being contentious, right? For fighting with one another. So positionally, they are saints before the throne of God, right? But in actuality, they're still sinners. Are you getting this? right? You see how this, this works, right? This is us. This is you and me. This is how we stand before God, all right? So through the blood of Jesus, we are declared to be saints, right? You don't need the Catholic Church to make you a saint. The blood of Jesus makes you a saint, right? A sanctified one. You're a saint. Tell the person next to you, you're a saint, right? Amen. Saint Jean Marie. Yes. <laughs> 
Isn't that awesome? Right? St. Jean Marie. St. Raymond. Yes. Right? St. Pastor Chris. Yeah. We are, we are, I'm St. Greg, right? Yeah, that's right. We are, we are all saints through the blood of Jesus Christ, positioned before God as holy, right? But even though we're positioned before God as holy, we're still what? We're still sinners, okay? Remind the person next to you, you're still a sinner, okay? You're a saint before God, but to me, you're still a sinner, all right? Right? Okay? <laughs> because we are being, here's the thing, we are in the process of being made in actuality what we have been declared to be positionally. This is the process of sanctification. Amen? This is what the book of Ephesians is all about. Okay, I know, I know it took a long way to get here, but this is what Ephesians really is all about. Specifically, chapter 4 and 5. It's about that process now where we have been declared holy, but now we're being made actually into those saints. Let me give you some examples. In chapters 1 and 2, we see instant, instantaneous sanctification, all right? Uh, verses 5 and 6, Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. It says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and did what? And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. Right? So this is positionally how God sees us. That we've been elevated to a place of righteousness and holiness before his throne. Right? That's chapter 2. But in chapters 4 and 5, we see now progressive sanctification where we are to become actually what we are declared to be positionally. We read it. Verse 24, Ephesians 4. says that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. You have been declared to be holy. You are seen to be holy. You are reckoned to be holy clean and pure through the blood of Jesus. But now he says, now you need to put on that new man and walk in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. This is what Ephesians is all about, especially chapters 4, 5, and 6. So here's the question. How do we walk in holiness? How do we do this? And this is the question that, that Paul really drills down on in chapter 5. So verse 1, he says this, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Okay? So putting on the new man, right? actually putting this on our behavior and our conduct, it begins with an intentional deliberate effort on our part that we actually direct our energies now towards imitating who God is, who Christ is, to no longer be a clone of this world, conformed to this world, and the values and the attitudes and the behaviors that the people of this world demonstrate. But instead now, we are to put on a new mindset, a redeemed mindset to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to interact with the people of this world and the church like Jesus in love. Amen? 
Now, how do we do this? Now, is this a matter of, of, of discipline? Is it a matter of self-control? Do we need to just really try, you know, try really hard to deny ourselves and abstain from everything secular, right, and, and just in our own strength? How do we do this? Well, as you read through chapter 5, I believe that we see three directives that Paul gives us that help us to understand how we can walk in holiness, put on righteousness and true holiness, to walk in one, newness of life, to walk in two, the light of Christ that he puts in us, and to three, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives us. This is how we put on righteousness and true holiness. First, he tells us, that walking in holiness begins with walking in that newness of life, that righteousness and that true holiness that we have been positioned with, okay? Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So now Paul starts to talk about holiness in a very real and a very practical sense, right? And how it affects us in our conduct and our behavior. And he takes this very practical approach saying that there are certain obvious behaviors that do not conform to the nature and the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would not do if he were walking on the earth today, right? Simply, he says, not fitting for those who are saints, conduct that is not congruent to those who are positioned before God as holy and righteous, right? These are things that the world may accept as normal, but are contrary to the nature of God, right? Amen? He says there's, there's things that are very obvious, right? And he mentions fornication, uncleanness, covetousness to begin with, okay? Fornication, the Greek word there is porneia, porneia. It's where we get the word porn, pornography. And it's any sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. Did you get that? Okay, that's what that, porneia is, a, is in, a, in the Greek is a very broad, it's a very general term, right? And it captures any sexual activity that is outside the realm of heterosexual marriage. That means that, that if you are sexually active and the person that you are sexually active with is not your husband or your wife in a heterosexual relationship, we have to clarify that in the U.S. today, right? Okay, then you are committing porneia sexual immorality. And it is not to be named among us as is not fitting for those who are saints. How many are getting that? Okay? It's very clear. Okay? There's no ambiguity here. It's not nebulous. All right? Then he says uncleanness. Fornication, uncleanness. The Greek word for uncleanness basically means moral depravity. All right? It's, it's like an absence of, of morality. And it refers specifically to immoral activity that people who are lost embrace. Not just lost, people, people who are apostate, people that have rejected, have rejected the faith, and because they've rejected the faith, their hearts have become hardened, right? A moral activity that the world accepts as normal, and he will even say is good. And we see that today, that there's immorality out there that the world considers virtuous. Like, like there are people that believe abortion is a virtue, right? That it's something that should be celebrated, right? Okay, now, 
obviously Christians, we as Christians are not apostate. Apostate means casting off the faith. We've not, we're not lost, right? So this would, what this is talking about, uncleanness for the unbeliever, it refers to Christians becoming uh, spotted or unclean or defiling their sainthood by the immorality or the activity of lost people. It's when those who are saints fellowship with lost people who are doing things that are decadent, okay? Or maybe not with them, but maybe viewing that or watching that or tuning into it, either on the internet or on television or in Netflix, right? Entertaining ourselves with the decadent activity of lost people, apostate people, right? Who are embracing certain activities as, as right and good and virtuous, right? Okay? It means that, this is a really interesting concept, it means that we can defile ourselves in the process of progressive sanctification by fellowshipping with the uncleanness of this world. Doesn't mean we lose our salvation. It means, though, that we are impeding, we are hindering that, that progressive sanctification in our lives. In James chapter 1, verse 27, he says that we are to keep ourselves unspotted, pure religion, right? To keep yourself unspotted from the world. So what does that mean? It means that we, we need to walk with wisdom and discernment and discretion and be careful of the places that we go and the people that we party with and hang out with, right? And the beliefs of this world that we agree with, lest we defile ourselves in this process of sanctification, okay? How many are tracking with me? Amen? So, so Paul's getting very practical here about who we are to be in Christ. Then he mentions covetousness. Covetousness, covetousness in the Greek basically means greedy practices, okay? To defraud, to, to extort, to get money through dishonest means or to hold on to money, through dishonest means, right, to lie, right, and to not be truthful, not to be transparent with our, our funds and our money, lying on our tax returns, right, or defrauding people that we do business with or, or cheating people out of the money that they should, they should have, right? So that he's saying that as Christians, we need to conduct our business and ourselves in the world with worldly people in a way that our finances have integrity. Amen? Right? And then in verse 4, he gets even more specific. He says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Okay? So this is not talking about simply making jokes. Okay? I don't think it's wrong to have a sense of humor. How many believe God? I believe God has a sense of humor. I really do. I mean, you think about it. He made the ostrich. He made the monkey. He made some people I know. God has a, he, he, he really has a sense of humor, right? It's not talking about being humorous or just making jokes. It's talking about making jokes that are crude, that are dirty, that are obscene, right? That contain all of the above things listed, right, in verse, in verse 3, okay? Ephesus the, the people to whom Paul was writing. And, and Ephesus, too, was actually considered to be a circular letter that it was actually passed around the churches at that time. Okay? And so it was something that everyone in the church, all the churches would, would be reading. But Ephesus was, in particular, it was like modern-day America. I mean, much of their secular, worldly entertainment was centered around perverted and obscene humor. Right? Nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes. 
Amen? Okay? And, and, and if you watch today, if you tune into a lot of the modern comedy, you know, the movies that are out today, the comedy that is out today, the podcast, you know, the stand-up comedians sing, much of what you're going to see is this vulgarity, this perversion. Hello? Hello? I know you're looking at me like, Pastor Greg, no, I've never experienced such a thing. My little halo is too shiny for that. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's all around us. Amen? It's everywhere. We are living in Sodom today. Do I need to, I don't need to explain this to us. We know that. We are living in modern day Babylon today, okay? And, and, and much of what makes people laugh today and entertains them is perversion and vulgarity and coarse, foolish joking. And, and, and Paul is saying that this is not fitting for us as saints. Amen? In other words, saying you don't need to pray about this. Okay? You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit to lead you in this. He's calling it out right now. He's saying this is of the world and it's not fitting. There are certain, listen, he's basically saying that as, as Christ followers, there are certain things in the world that we have no business being a part of. We have no business watching. We have no business entertaining ourselves with. Amen? Amen. And then he makes this statement, verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator... No unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul's saying that if you are truly saved, hello, if you're truly saved, you will live differently than those who are truly lost, right? And it's not that the living differently saves us, it's, it's the faith that saves us, right? But it's the way we live that demonstrates the validity and the sincerity and the truthfulness of our faith. Amen? Yes. James 2.17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay? So works doesn't save us, but, but works is a fruit. It's a, it's a result. It's an outcome of a true faith that has positioned us before God as being holy. He takes this further in verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, what things? Verses 3 and 4. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. He says, don't be deceived. People will tell you that all these things, fornication, covetousness, you know, uncleanness, they'll tell you that it's okay to do. In fact, the world will mock you, mock us for our holiness. When we put on that new man created after in God and righteousness, the world will mock us. And in not only the world, there will be people in the church who will criticize us, right? They'll say, oh, you're holier than thou. Oh, you're judging me. Oh, you think you're better than every... No, I'm just reading Ephesians chapter 5. Right? Amen? It's like you're being legalistic, you know. This won't hurt your salvation. You're saved by grace. God is loving. God is merciful. Yes, we are saved by grace. Amen? We understand that. Ephesians 2 tells us that. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But look at verse 10. Verse 10. Everybody say verse 10. Okay, context matters. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God what? He prepared beforehand that what? 
We should walk in them. Grace does not give us license now to live however we want. Grace means that we have been adopted as sons of the Most High God, that we've been positioned as holy and righteous before Him, right? And that now, because we have been positioned as, as saints, we are to walk as saints. The fact that we are at least trying, uh, we, have, we have the mindset of a saint, demonstrates the validity and the, and the genuineness of our faith. Amen. Okay? And that's what Paul's saying here. Bottom line, holiness begins with a mindset that we are intentional in imitating God. I'm not saying perfect, right? First John 2, if you sin, we're, we're going to fall. But we have a mindset, right, to live as Christ followers, separating ourselves from obvious things in this world that are not congruent to the nature of Jesus Christ. Note verse 7, it says, do not be what? Do not be partakers with them. Anyone in your life who is trying to pull you down and pull you back into sin, do not allow yourself to comply. Do not participate. Do not partake in that. Amen? And he goes from there, and he writes this in verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So this is the second point that Paul makes about walking in holiness. Walking in the light of Christ within us. Verse 8, he says, you are, you are basically the light of the world, that you are to walk as children of the light. Verse 8, and then verse 9, he says this, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of what? Darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed, now look at this, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. He's basically saying that when we come to Christ, he puts within us the capacity to discern what is evil from what is light. Hallelujah. Right? It's referring to the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit within us. You see, when we receive Christ into our life, Jesus doesn't step into it. It's not like Jesus, you know, literally like rips open our chest and steps into us. Okay? Jesus comes into us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? Three in one. Okay? So we have a relationship with God through the Spirit who lives in us at salvation. That's what it means to be born again. The regenerating power of the Holy Spirit comes into us, resurrects our dead spirit, connects us to God by the Spirit that lives in us. Now because of the Holy Spirit that is in us, we have this, this illuminating power in us that teaches us, that guides us, that shows us, that convicts us. Amen? Hallelujah! The Holy Spirit will reveal to you things that are against the will of God. The Holy Spirit will, will, will guide us, will convict us. Jesus said in, in John, he said, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us. Have you ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit? Anybody here? Have you ever felt the convicting power of the, how many love the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? Oh, you do not. Put your hand down. You're lying right now. You need to be convicted right now. You don't love the convicting. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit hurts. It's uncomfortable, amen? 
right? It's the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to our spirit what pain is to our physical body. How many enjoy pain? Not, none of you, right? We don't, I don't like pain, but pain is important. We need pain. It's a defense mechanism. It shows us that there's something wrong physically. I stubbed my toe. Ouch, it hurts. I need to take care of it. If I don't, it's going to get infected. It get gangrene. I could lose my leg. I could die, right, by this infection. I can cause my whole system to become septic, right? Pain is important. Conviction is like pain to our spirit. It shows us there's something going on in your attitude, your mindset, what you're watching, what you're saying. There's something going on in you that is wrong, and if you don't deal with it, it'll become an infection to your spirit, and it will spread and become cancerous, and it will ruin you spiritually, right? That's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, right? And if you're alive in Christ, you're going to feel it. Hallelujah. And when you feel that convicting power of the Holy Spirit, respond to it, submit. Because if you don't, your heart can become calloused and hard. I've known, I've known people who, who have been in Christ, and they're doing things, and I'm like, how can you do those things? And they're like, well, I don't get convicted about that. And I think, you know what? I think you do get convicted, but you've become calloused. You no longer hear the convicting of the Holy Spirit. I know. I'm a very judgmental person. I know that. I'm sorry. Right? Conviction. And understand this. The conviction, the, the illumination that we get from the Holy Spirit is not always, you know, spiritual. It's not always subjective to what we're hearing from God, okay? Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Most of what the Holy Spirit convicts us of comes from where? The word of God, right? So if you're in the word, if you're studying the word, if you're reading the word, if you're in Ephesians 5, you're going you're gonna to get the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I love people who say, I never hear God speak to me, and their Bible's never opened. Right? Don't complain that, that you never hear from God if your Bible is always closed. Okay? Because the number one way God speaks to us is through what? Through His Word, right? And then verse 18, he shows us one more crucial factor about walking in holiness. And that is walking in the power of the Spirit. With, so not only does the Spirit illuminate us and convict us, the Spirit empowers us to overcome. Look at verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. Everybody get that? Hello? Just in case you were wondering. <laughs> Do not be drunk with wine. Or Jack Daniels. Or Seagram 7. Or Heineken. Or any of those other brands. Okay? Which is dissipation, but be filled with with the Spirit, okay? Drinking, drunkenness was such a, a common everyday part of their lives because a lot of times the water was bad, right? And they had wine in abundance because of the industry there. People often looked to drunkenness to give them temporary happiness, to give them escape, to give them some kind of you know, satisfaction and, and fulfillment. Paul is saying here that there is something else, something else that is very real and lasting and that is not temporary that will fill your life, right? Not with happiness, but with joy, right? Not with escape, but with peace. Not with temporary fulfillment, but with life and life more abundantly. And that is the person and the power of the Holy Spirit who Christ put within you when you were born again and you were positioned before God as being holy. Hallelujah. Walking in holiness is not something God simply commands us to do and says, all right, go out there and be moral. Okay? It's not moralism. Okay? He puts His Spirit in us 
and he empowers us through the person of the Holy Spirit to become, in actuality, what we have been made positionally. He doesn't leave us alone. Hallelujah. He puts his spirit in us to help us. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the paracletus, our comforter, our helper. He is with us every step of the way. Amen. In fact, I believe that's why he cleansed us from sin and freed us from our guilt so that because now we are cleansed and free from guilt, the Holy Spirit can come and live within our being and empower us to live holy. We couldn't get the power to live holy until we were first declared to be holy because the holy God cannot take up residence in an unclean vessel. How many are tracking with me right now? So he first had to declare us to be holy, justified by faith, in order to get the Holy Spirit in us so that he could help us to walk out righteousness and true holiness. Are you getting that? Amen? That was God's plan from the beginning. He just wanted to get the Spirit into us, right? So that he could fellowship with us and so that we could become like Christ. Amen. Hebrews 8.10 says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And guess what? We are now the seed of Abraham, the house of Israel, because of Christ. Right? I will what? Put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the power of the gospel. He pays for our sin, declares us to be holy, puts his spirit in us to make us holy holy. Hallelujah. And we are a work in progress until the day we die. We will never achieve perfection in this life. We will never get it all taken care of, but we're in the process of sanctification. We've been declared to be holy, declared to be righteous, and now we're on a journey. Amen? Hallelujah. Brings us to verse 19, and I'm going to conclude for today. Verse 19. Let, let me have the worship team join me up here. I know it's getting late, but we're going to do that. Verse, eight, verse, 18, um, verse 18. Okay, so verse 18, understand this. Grammatically, it's not a sentence that ends with be filled with the Spirit. No. It says this. Be filled with the Spirit, comma, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It's a classic Apostle Paul run-on sentence. It's like he just never stops, right? Okay? But filled with the Spirit, not so that we can just enjoy the Spirit in ourselves, but so that now Jesus said, Jesus said that out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, the Holy Spirit is meant to flow out from us and nourish all those who are around us, right? And this is why we need each other. This is why we need the church. Because fellowship increases the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They asked Charles Finney, they said, why do you need to be daily filled with the Holy Spirit? He said, because I leak. Amen? How many here leak? Okay, maybe half of you. The other half is all plugged up, okay? <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but Hebrews 10, 24 says, to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because in the presence of others seeking, worshiping, fellow, fellowshipping, I get filled up. I get filled up, right? It's like when you push 
hot coals together. There's a, a synergistic effect, right? They draw heat off of one another, which causes their collective heat to rise. And as a result, they each as individuals get hotter. Are you following that? That's the way it works with us Christians. Hallelujah. We get each other fired up. Right? That's what happens. We get each other fired up. Amen? Be filled with the Spirit. Right? He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Getting each other fired up. Hallelujah. Provoking each other to worship. Provoking each other to prayer. Provoking each other to trust God. I know some of you are here today. You're going through a hard time. Maybe your faith is being challenged. Maybe someone close to you is, is struggling physically and you're praying for healing. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis. You know what? That's why we need to come to, 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 together because we fire each other up. We provoke one another. We remind one another that whatever you're facing, He is above it all. Whatever you're going through, He's going through it with you. And when you declare that, when you allow yourself to get fired up by the faith of those around you. You're activating your own faith to believe that he lives, that he lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Hallelujah. Because he lives. That's why we need church. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Those of you who are watching online, God bless you, but you need to be in church. You need to be in the house of God. You need to get back to church right? So get out of your pajamas, put away your muffin, get dressed, get in the car, get the kids, and get back to the house of God and allow your faith to get fired up. Amen. Hallelujah. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our lives. We thank you, Lord God, for that, for that completed work of Christ that has declared us to be holy. Come on, thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you've positioned us Oh, God, to be holy before your throne. Lord God, we know there's a work that needs to be done. So we say, Lord, do your work, God. Set me apart, God. Convict me, convince me, show me, lead me, and guide me, God, into your perfect will. Amen, church? Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. That's you are my God. Hallelujah. I worship. Let's take a moment to and worship the Lord. glorify, glorify the name of all names. We give you praise, Lord. That nothing can stand against Hallelujah. and I choose to praise. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. To glorify, glorify the name of all names. The name above all names. That nothing can stand against my God, my and God. I choose to praise. Hallelujah. To glorify, glorify Lord, the name of, praise, of all Lord. because we believe in a God who still answers prayer. And listen, don't miss an opportunity to get prayed for. If you're going through something today, you need prayer, you want people to join their faith with you, this is an opportunity for you to get prayed for and to see God do something amazing in your life, right? So we have our prayer people are going to be up here, our prayer altar workers, our leaders will be up here waiting for you eager to pray for you. So as I pray to dismiss, you can step out of your seats and come to the front. So Father, we pray, God, for those that need to go. We pray your blessing on each one, Lord God, that we would hear the convicting power of the Holy Spirit illuminating us and that you would do your work 
to make us more like Christ in our lives. Bless those that come forward for prayer today, God, that you would meet with us in a powerful way to work your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you've got to go, you can.